There's a trend going around that is so bafflingly of our time, so incredibly 2021, that even the most tech-savvy of us are having a hard time explaining it to other people. Kind of like this. Millions of Americans own a personal computer. If you're one of them, you can now glimpse the future with nothing more than a modem, a phone line, and a few dollars a month. Oh, that's that right. little mark with the A and then the ring around it. At? See, that's what I said. Mm -hmm. um, Katie said she thought it was about. Yeah. Oh. But I've never heard or it. Around. I've never heard it said. I'd always seen right. the mark, but never yeah. heard it said. And then yeah. it sounded stupid when I said it. Violence at NBC. Just what is this main artery of the information superhighway? Every business, no matter how large, no matter how small, will be on the internet in the year 2000. It's the primary way that people will look up information. It will replace the yellow pages as we know it today. Are a lot of people just getting on to the internet because they feel that they have to get onto the playing field, so to speak? Well, it's very hip to be on the internet right now. <laughs> there it is, violence at NBC, GE, com. I mean, well, what Allison that? should know. What, what do you is say internet that, anyway? Internet is uh, that massive computer right. network. The one that's becoming really big now. What do you mean? That's big? Wait, how does one, what do you write to it, like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what internet is? I'm afraid that if I subscribe to something like internet, you would really be hooked. I would get hooked and I would never, you know, spend time with my family. Do you, am I also, do you, does it bother you at all that these are all people that you don't really know? I mean, everybody's, you know, signing on and having these conversations and whining together or griping together or whatever to with people that i mean i i don't know if i it is group therapy of the of the 90s well i just as i mentioned i have no desire to be a part of the internet because i feel like i'm so inundated with information all the time that i don't really i don't want more don't you ever feel like it's just constant bombardment i, know, I guess the thing i resent most is, is i would resent the, you know at least when you're home if the phone rings you have the option of not answering on the internet people can send you messages all the time you don't even want to hear from now these clips from the early 90s seem hilarious now but enterprising content creators looking to go viral in 20 years might do well bookmarking videos like this Now to the latest trend that's sweeping the internet, the skyrocketing prices for digital art sold as NFTs or non-fungible tokens. It's a way for individuals to buy and sell works of art that are purely in the digital form. That's part of an explosion of investment mania that's taken off during the pandemic. So what's behind this latest craze? Oh, oh my God! what it looks like when your artwork sells for $69 million. I think it probably means digital art is here to stay. The work, called Every Days, the first 5,000 days, is a collage of all the images that the artist known as Beeple has posted online since 2007. This digital creation sold last week for a record amount in the non-fungible token or NFT market. Now, this is clearly a strange moment in the world of art, music, sports, and memorabilia collecting, and the internet in general. NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, have gone from a niche blockchain purchase to one of the hottest marketplaces for culture in recent memory. That is until, just like the dot-com boom of the late 90s, it wasn't. For three fleeting months in early 2021, before the world totally reopened, before we started seeing fans in the stands at the Euro or NBA playoffs, 
You may have heard the artist Beeple sold an NFT for $69 million, completely shattering the ceiling of any preconceived notions of what an NFT was truly worth. A market that was completely unheard of in November of 2020 was suddenly gathering interest from everybody from the curious collector to investment banker. Everybody wanted in. And then, by the beginning of June of this year, the bubble suddenly popped. After a meteoric rise, the NFT market came back down to earth incredibly hard. After dominating news cycles and the imaginations of investors for mere months, the value of NFTs following the lead of Bitcoin and Ethereum imploded. On May 3rd, single-day NFT sales came in at a staggering $102 million. For the week of June 4th, sales totaled $19 million, a near 90% drop. NFTs remain incredibly polarizing since first entering mainstream consciousness towards the end of 2020, and the confusion around this concept kind of still remains. But for those who consider NFTs a passing fad, you know, something that burned hot and fast, be warned. Just like in the early 90s when so many dismissed the influx of tech companies around the dot-com bubble, and in 2017 during the first wave of cryptocurrency enthusiasm, these same investors may be proven again quite wrong. I'm Laura McInnes-Ray, and you're listening to Episode 7 of Beneath the Rhythm, an RX Music podcast. Yes, NFTs are certainly down from their highs. However, this may be more of a weeding out process as opposed to a bubble popping. Now that the initial hype has died down, Companies who see the true long-term investment value in this medium emerge from what is known as the peak inflated expectation phase of this fad to the plateau of productivity phase. Bit of a word sandwich. Are you still with me? This is where you end up with companies like Amazon. This is known as the Gardner hype cycle. The process where new technology make bold promises, becomes mainstream, and then runs through a cycle of innovation triggers a technological breakthrough and early proof-of-concept stories that generate media interest, but it's still early days. Secondly, there's peak of inflated interest. Lots of success stories, people start listening and taking interest, but not all companies are convinced yet. Third, we have trough of disillusionment. Interest generally wanes as experimentation in the new thing reveals that not everybody has the same level of success. Next comes slope of enlightenment. New, more innovative ways of using the technology are developed and real enterprises start to develop. We start seeing more versions. And finally, plateau of productivity. Mainstream adoption crystallizes into something truly bigger. More big investors fund larger products because now it's a proven commodity. It no longer needs to be explained. It's more widely understood. So what does the future of the NFT really look like? Now's the fun part. Who are the people in the music industry that are looking to take this through the trough of disillusionment, up our slope of enlightenment, and maybe look to become the new Amazon of NFTs? We spoke to Bjorn Nicholas, CEO and co-founder of the app Rocky, 
Rain Maida, frontman of Our Lady Peace and chief product officer of the app Sing, and David Canellis, crypto journalist and director of news at Protos Media. My name is Bjorn Niklas. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Rocky, which is a next-generation music streaming and music NFT and blockchain application. It's nice to meet you, and thanks again for featuring on our podcast. As soon as I found out about about Rocky, I knew I wanted to talk with you guys. We were lucky enough to land the CEOs. Really appreciate <laughs> yeah. your time. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So essentially, in this episode, we're just diving into NFTs specifically for musicians. We're a music-based podcast. We're always interested in the best interests of up-and-coming artists, what trends in the industry are most effective to follow, um, most valuable, um, and any unique projects we find along the way. When I came across Rocky, obviously you guys had just started and I couldn't wait to just get all hands on deck and, and understand more about what you guys do. So can you just start us off with a background on sort of how did you land where yeah, you are? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, thanks thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, actually, you know, Rocky is actually a combination of a lot of music tech companies that have founded and co-founded over the years. They've all been aimed at giving more tools and resources for the little guy trying to level the playing field, uh, which we all know is extremely unfair and really only benefits the top 1% of the mega artists and the old school gatekeepers of the music industry. So I come from an almost 20 year background in the music industry. I started off as a DJ myself, an amateur music producer, which actually led me to a path becoming a tour manager for some big famous DJs. And I built a career around artist management and, and worked with that for many, many years. So I've kind of seen all the ins and outs of the music industry from producing events and festivals, managing big DJs, negotiating record deals with independents, with majors, putting music on the, the streaming services and the SoundCloud back in the day. And so I'm very well versed on how the music industry works. Uh, and during my career as a traveling artist manager, and you meet a lot of up and coming aspiring DJs and music producers. And I always made it a point to to always ask what, what they want most out of their career. And and of course, everyone can think, yeah, they want a Lamborghini, they want a big villa with a pool. But today's world, that is extremely difficult to do. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of distortion. Algorithms not working in your favor. They are working in the favor of the Facebooks and the Googles, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I always knew from very early on that the cards are really stacked against the up and coming and the independent sector. After working in, in that industry for many years, after a while, I kind of decided I had enough and, and I made some money and I decided to uh, invest. And uh, I founded a couple of music technology startups that were all aimed towards trying to provide better value and provide you know new technologies for independent musicians and DJs to use to grow their careers with earning more money to more and better fan engagements, uh, I had a live streaming company called Groovio as well. Now that's all kind of led into, into Rocky, which is basically a music platform built on blockchain technology to provide better value and better fan engagement for musicians. There's a lot of ingredients that I've uh, put in there from previous startups, previous uh, 
lessons learned and we have a really great team and we uh, are right now focusing a lot on music nfts which is of course a very interesting it's not actually a new piece of technology it's actually been around for many years and on a pretty funny side note i actually was involved in another music blockchain company a few years ago called tune c-h-o-o-n i was the co-founder of it together with a famous dj but also together with two gentlemen, Matt and John, who were the originators of CryptoPunks, which was one of the first digital collectibles on the blockchain. So one of the first NFT projects called CryptoPunks. It was 10,000 pieces of generated these little icons that they gave out ownership on the blockchain. And what even what back, year was that started? That, in? Yeah, I think that was 2017. Okay. Uh, and, and they basically, they were before a company or a project called CryptoKitties, which came about six months or a year later. And for some reason, CryptoKitties blew up, got a lot of hype and exposure. And, you know, they became a mega, mega big company uh, after that. But uh, Matt and John and the CryptoPunks was actually the first. You know, back then, when we were building the Tune platform, which focused on music streaming, uh, providing a token reward for the stream place, you know, even back then we were smart people and we were on the front lines of technology, but even back then, none of us had any ideas that we could use NFTs for music and, and the royalty rights management that we also do on Rocky. It's kind of led into what Rocky is today. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that it's the right time. Sadly, uh, we all know many musicians, I'm sure, and it's been an absolute terrifying you know last year with the pandemic since most artists earned their income from live events playing playing live gigs so that was the first thing that went when the covid pandemic broke out was you know music events and festivals so a lot of my artist friends around the world have been struggling since the pandemic broke out and if you turn to look on the internet online for value you're not going to find it right? Because mm -hmm. these guys are in the 99% categories. Typically, Spotify pays 90% of their revenue to 1% of the artists, which are the mega ones that everyone loves and streams a lot. But the remaining 99%, which are typically the independent category, which most of my friends are in, they get to share that remaining 10% of revenue. There was actually a really interesting article by the Music Network in Australia, that uh, you know, they dissected the Spotify financial filings to find out this information. And when you look on an average payment per user in that other 99% category, it comes out to like $200 a year or something extremely low like that. Clearly not something you can sustain a musical career on or invest in buying new instruments, et cetera. Right. So when the pandemic hit and these guys have no income from live events and they're looking online for alternative there is not they're not going to get any help from spotify or soundcloud or even youtube right unless they go viral with some silly music mm -hmm. video when the pandemic broke out there you know early last year i was diving deep into the world of nfts to learn as much as i could starting thinking about okay what would the what would the ultimate music platform uh look like for independent artists and also their fans how could NFTs be used for the music industry? I've been following the crypto art NFTs and while it's really incredible to see some of the incredible amounts of money being shopped around, 
I'm personally not super convinced on the longevity of that particular segment of the market, but I could be wrong. I'm not actually an expert, but on the music side, I think it makes a lot more sense. On Rocky, you can mint a music NFT of an unreleased song. Let's say it's my song, it's called Heaven. And I decide there's only going to be 50 copies available for my fans to be able to enjoy. And if you want to be able to enjoy this song and add it to your collection, it's going to cost you $10. Uh, that gets sold directly to your fans. You tweet about it, you put it on Facebook or whatnot, and fans can come in and they can buy it. It's, of course, stored in their, in their, in, 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 in their wallet, and it's connected to our Rocky application on the website. So you can play it, you can add it to your playlist, etc. Now yours, that privilege. The beauty of that is, I think, a couple of points. One is, it's new upfront revenue that was not there a year ago, right? Mm -hmm. Even pre, pre-pandemic, this type of revenue was not there. Nobody was doing any music NFTs. Second, it's also a new fun way for fans to start to collect music again. Just how we used to collect vinyl. You know, I remember around Christmas, there was always the CD box set that came in like three CDs and a booklet and a special cover. They always came out around Christmas because everybody was shopping then, but they were typically limited edition. So the idea there is if we look at how the market is today, we have Spotify, which to me is all you can eat buffet of free music 24-7 at your fingertips for everyone in the entire world. Now, while that is really great and it's a great app, it's really easy to use. It has really not done wonders in creating a monetary value of the music being consumed, right? Because their business model is different. So to me, the solution is the complete opposite. It's limited edition. It's scarcity that not mm-hmm. everyone can have access to. So to hear this one song of mine, there's only going to be 50 of you or 500 mm-hmm. or even 5,000 if you're a bigger one. Right, there's going to be five thousand copies at at two dollars each or five bucks each. Right, it's it's just a whole different system that, in my opinion, will start to create more monetary value of the music that the artists are making. It's it's that whole access versus ownership model, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, essentially, we rent access to Spotify to be able to get a quick enjoyment of our playlist mm-hmm. fix. Uh, And while it has certainly made them and their investors and the top 1% a heck of a lot of money, it has also, you know, been the complete opposite for the the majority of the artists on there. We we believe the music NFT can be a great new tool to not only bring in new upfront revenue, right? Of course, it can take a fairly long time when you actually do get your money from Spotify from your label or from your publisher or whatnot so you know with nfts you you know you you get that money right away when there are transactions happening we also believe that it can be fun for fans to start being more engaged and involved with the music right i mean i actually have a great vinyl collection and it's actually pretty fun for me to sometimes bring out some vinyl and play it for my friends that I did in a party that they have never heard before and they most likely will never heard before because it was a white label that I got from someone that was only test pressed in, in, in you know 20 copies for example mm-hmm. right and that's a lot of fun for me I, I like that feeling and I will never sell that I will never set, sell that white label but with music NFTs let's say that you bought one of my my heaven song you were one of the 50 you bought it for 10 bucks 
you played it so much because you loved it for the next three months at the gym, at the car. But now you're kind of over it. You, your music style has changed or whatever it is. You don't play it so much in your playlist anymore. We are now about to launch a secondary marketplace where you then can sell that music NFT of Bjorn okay. Heaven. And the cool thing about it is when that music NFT gets resold to someone else, there is 10% kickback back to me, the original artist. Every time this music NFT ownership changes hands forever. So it'll still trickle down to the artists. Exactly. It will still always trickle back down to the original artist. Maybe it went up in value. You know, maybe, maybe I became more famous. I had a hit song and the one that you bought of me of 10 bucks, there's people now giving you offers to buy it from you for 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. So if the original artist is then getting 10% cut from a sale that went from $10 to $50, obviously this is really good for the artist. This is really beneficial for an artist's career. So when you, when you launched, I was checking out just sort of the roster of the musicians and artists that are on your site. Have you found just in the reception of having them on there, um, do you find it's like, because it's so easy to mint something? I watched your tutorial video. That's how I know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know. But would you say like in making it sort of this DIY but easy to approach model um, that it's maybe incentivized or musicians like releasing? This is a really good question. And, uh, you know, to start off, uh, you know, first of all, and maybe I forgot to tell you before, you know, we are still a platform in beta, right? So we are not fully launched yet with all of our products and features as laid out in our white paper. Uh, we have launched our Music NFT 1.0, uh, and it's built on Binance Smart Chain blockchain, which is a really great blockchain. We used to build on Ethereum, uh, and it was you know, a little bit slower and, and much more expensive to mint, to issue these NFTs. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have a deal with Binance, which makes the issuing and, and the minting of NFTs very, very inexpensive. It's like something like $0.05 cents or $0.10. Cents. We are still in beta, and we launched the Music NFT 1.0, I think it's about three weeks ago now. And we've already had over 300 Music NFTs being minted by various types of artists. This current version 1.0 is, in fact a little bit more complicated than it should be. And we are actually about to launch our music NFT 2.0 in a week or two, which will make the minting and buying, etc., much more easier. While it's been a couple of people that got stuck, I think a lot of people were able to look at the the videos and figure out how to set up their wallets, etc. Right now, you have to have the Binance coins or the BNB token in order Mm -hmm. to mint them. But now in the future, we're getting support for our own ROX token as well, which is our native platform token called ROX. And on the buying side, there's also going to be support for buying these music NFTs uh, with a credit or a debit card function. Our goal is basically... And that's in regular regular money, right? Yeah, yeah, regular okay, money. Just making yeah. sure I'm following. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. No, that's a, actually, that's a great follow-up question. You know, the truth of the matter is that while we're sitting here talking about NF, music NFTs and we're excited, most people have no idea what we're talking about. And if you will put one million music fans in a big space on the airport and you say, how many of you have crypto or a crypto wallet or know what an NFT is? 
I bet you there will only be you know, 1% raising their hand. It's still very, very new. We've had some bigger artists issued NFTs on us and, and send out tweets. And a lot of their fans got it confused because now they got to have BNB. And if you live in America, the Binance coin is fairly difficult to get. You can't buy it on Coinbase and some other exchanges. I know Ethereum is the mass majority of a lot of music NFTs, but yeah. it is expensive in terms of actually having the resource and the team to make that happen and execute it, which is sort of what led me in my research to find you guys, because I was trying to piece together how feasible it is to be like maybe an independent underground artist yeah, yeah, yeah. as we were speaking about and actually getting on Ethereum. And what I was finding is this isn't feasible at all. Yeah, so yeah you're, you're so right. When I came across uh, you guys that you weren't using Ethereum um, and you constructed sort of this different model and you were placing this emphasis on DIY, like it's easier yeah. for you to do. If you'd like to be part of this, we're trying to make this easy and, and, to do i was like oh yeah. okay i get it now yeah. <laughs> and also you know and you know depending on some of your listeners they may not be familiar with crypto or ethereum or binance coin or nft etc so you know ethereum is the second biggest blockchain in the world it is also one of the oldest so the technology today to move these blocks around and issue nfts is very expensive and very slow we actually launched some music NFTs last year on Ethereum, and for us to issue them could be anything from $50 to $100. So if you were going to issue a music NFT and you're an independent artist or you're an up-and-coming producer and you're only trying to sell 50 of them or 10 of them for 5 bucks here or 10 bucks there so you can... Your goal is to make 50 bucks so you can buy a plug-in to your, to your program or whatever it is, right? It's not feasible to do that on Ethereum and pay $100 in cost in order to do it. Mm -hmm. So very quickly, we, you know, our goal has always been mainstream, a mainstream solution for the average musician uh, to be able to use the platform without being a crypto expert, without being a blockchain expert. And we are just about to launch, as I said, our NFT 2.0, which makes it even more easy for non-crypto music artists and fans to be able to participate in this new fun technology of offering your songs as collectible and for music lovers and music fans to be able to buy them mm -hmm. and have ownership of them uh, that is stored on the blockchain. I think by this summer, it will be a super simple to use platform that anyone can use, regardless of crypto and blockchain experience or not. So what you just saw there is, you know, it's a work in progress. It's still in beta. It works really well, but you do need some basic skill of having a wallet, having the Binance BNB token, etc. It's worked really well. And, you know, we actually get on Twitter, which is Rocky app, our Twitter. We actually get artists all the time that tweets, you know, I made more money in a week with my music NFTs on Rocky than my entire year from, from Spotify and Apple combined. Oh, wow. To me, it just really proves the concept, right? To me, it proves mm -hmm. that that's my holy grail. That's my mission is to build the best music platform to provide the best value for musicians and also have something fun and rewarding for their fans to interact.
we just talked about our music NFTs, which is, you know, you, the artist, will sell your song as a collectible, right? Just as a right. collectible baseball card or a collectible signed poster from your favorite band. They only signed five posters after the concert, and there's mm -hmm. five posters on eBay. They're never going to be any more than that. There's value in the scarcity of that. The other one, which actually is a, is a big passion project of mine that I came up with last summer, and we've been working on alpha and beta testing it now for quite some time, is an NFT that we call Royalty Income NFT. This is not a song that's going to be exclusive for only people to buy you know, the NFT. This is a song that's in our regular music streaming side of the platform. So, you know, we have music NFTs, which is collectible songs, right? So you need basically the lock and key. If you have the key, if you have the NFT key, you can access and listen to it and own it. If you don't, you can't hear it. On the other side is the music streaming platform, which works just like SoundCloud. Artists can upload music that they own the rights to. Uh, and there is a small token reward when the music is being streamed. But on that side, we are launching something that's called a royalty right NFT. And that is basically an NFT token that represents royalty income rights of a song. So let's say I'm uploading my same song, Bjorn Niklas Heaven, on the regular music streaming side. I decide I want to sell 50% of future royalty rights of this song to my fans. And I'm going to issue 50 NFTs at 1% each. And each percent is going to cost $20. If I sell 50 royalty rights for 1% each, I would have made $1,000 upfront. And what's cool about that is now artists get upfront money, which they all need right now. But what's even more cool is that now, I have 50 stakeholders together with me in the song. And rather of those fans being a passive listener, a passive fan, they are now active. And we have done a bunch of beta testing on this. The fan behavior completely changes from just putting on your headset and being a passive listener Mm -hmm. to becoming way more active, sharing on social media, hyping it up, talking about it, playing it. Because then, yeah, then it is, it's incentivized at that point, right? You're incentivized. You are now a stakeholder. You are now an investor, owner of the mm -hmm. income generated for that song. So what happens then? What happens when an artist has 50 promoters out there on the market hyping up your song you get what is to me the most important thing in this entire business model of us you get more fans because you have 50 people who are exposing you your music to new people mm -hmm. and if it's you sharing a song to me i'm going to listen to it because you are my friend and if you know I like country music and you send me a country music song to, to, to listen to, I may become a fan, right? You know my music taste. You're sharing it to me. Hey, Bjorn, here's a really cool song I think you'll like. 
and a link to Rocky, you are a 1% royalty owner. If I play it, you're going to get a small token reward yourself. But the mm -hmm. idea is more on the getting more fans. How can we help an artist get ahead in the music industry? And it all starts with being able to reach more people with your music, which in today's world is very, very difficult and, and, and very, very competitive and, mm -hmm. and, and distortions left and right from all the other apps and, and artists who are hyping up their own songs, etc. So to me, this royalty NFT is super exciting. It's, it's, it's just about to launch in, in probably in a few weeks. But I believe this is going to be a really great new tool for artists to utilize to not only, again, get upfront new revenue, but to basically activate your super fan to help work mm -hmm. for you, to help promote your music out there on the market. Especially if, if any of these fans are content creators, if you could work out something where you are actually utilizing the music per se, like in something they make, that could be another another stream of revenue too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It all bleeds together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what we are all about at Rocky and what we are building. So we are extremely pro-artist uh, and also building tools and features and services where regular music fans can also be a part of the Rocky ecosystem, mm -hmm. you know, earn rewards, collect music, invest in royalties, and, and you know, become speculators of music, uh, which I think is really cool. And uh, we are super excited to see how, how, uh, how everyone's going to react when we, when we launch this product. Bigger picture is, would you say that the Catch-22 is making music NFTs for fans and artists accessible while also keeping like a decentralized model? Is that fair to say? In my opinion, I don't actually think artists or fans really care just how decentralized you are. We are decentralized where we need to be decentralized and we are centralized where we need to be centralized. Our goal is to become the number one mainstream uh, music platform for independent artists. And we use blockchain technology under the hood to provide the latest technology for transparency, for security, uh, and of course, on the you know, token side, having our own token called ROX. You know, we launched a token in December at $0.08. Cents. I think today is trading around $0.04. Cents. It's, it's been a phenom phenomenal reception in the marketplace uh, because people and investors really believe in our model to build a better alternative that mm -hmm. so many of our artist friends deserve. So uh, we are you know, currently exploring options to go more fully decentralized, uh, you, you know, using distributed web and hosting music in the distributed web, et cetera. But currently the music is stored and accessed in a centralized server. You know, for me, it's important that you know, when you press play, the music starts. Right? You can't press play and wait five minutes for the files to be collected from the... Right from this distributed web into your app, et cetera. I don't personally think that the average user really care just how decentralized or not you are. They just care of having the best possible value, have the best product that works mm -hmm. in the best way. Interesting, yeah, no, I'm like, even in this conversation, I'm, your insight is like piecing together sort of a bigger, 
a better understanding, like with more and more people that I talk to and the more research I've done, each, each person's bringing another piece to the puzzle. As somebody that's not really involved in cryptocurrency, this was a massive learning curve. So um, yeah, I'm, keeping, I'm trying to keep up. Um, yeah, you know, there's uh, obviously cryptocurrency is new, but it's also an important part in the global emerging economy that's coming out. You know, now we're coming into a soon post-COVID world right. where everything has changed. So many businesses has been destroyed uh, and there's so much money that needs to be paid for from governments to help build up the economies again. And if we look at what's happening, huge companies and old school Wall Street banks, they're all getting into crypto. I think crypto is here to stay. Of course, cryptocurrency in general is highly volatile and there's many cryptocurrencies that are scams that are just pure hype. There's these things called the meme coins and dog coins and this and Those that. Coins. But, yeah, that they really shouldn't be that valuable because they more or less have unlimited supply. So they can just keep printing more. But anyway, the point is, it's a very exciting part of the global economy. And I think musicians in particular should start to look into it, educate themselves. You know, Coinbase is a great app in the US and they actually pay you small amounts of crypto from, for looking on tutorial videos and how it works. Uh, we are also going to launch a similar concept on Rocky where our users can look at our tutorial videos and they get rewarded in our rocks tokens for doing so. So our goal is to try to bridge the, the non-crypto music people with the world of crypto music text that we have. And it's not actually that difficult, but it's certainly new for most people. But I think if you are a musician listening in to this show, you know, educate yourself, check out some YouTube videos, you know, read articles, see what's going on. You know, when Elon Musk and uh, JP Morgan and PayPal and eBay and Visa and MasterCard, when all those guys are going into crypto, you know it's not going anywhere, right? It's here yeah. to stay. But be very careful, you know, start small and, and stick with the big ones, you know, the mm -hmm. Bitcoin, the Ethereum. I would stay away from all those hype coins personally, but that's just my opinion. Who knows where the world is heading with, with everything that's going on. It's an interesting path to see where this is going to go. And and if people are feeding into it and enjoy where it's going, then sure. this is... I think these types of, you know, I'm actually a big fan of, of Bandcamp personally. I really like the direct-to-fan service mm -hmm. where a platform or service can cater directly to fans with an offering of various kinds. I, I believe that is the most fair model and, and, and especially for the independent artist category. And it's the same for us. We are essentially a marketplace between the artists and the fans. And we provide tools and products and services that artists can use to get better, get better value, make more money, have better fan engagement with activating their fans to become either collectors of their exclusive music or mm -hmm. to become co-royalty -ro owners of their songs and getting their promotional help out on the market. That type of thinking, this kind of direct-to-fan relationship, I think is the next generation of services that are coming. 
you know, we all know that the Spotify model does not work for that category. It works really well for the other category, and that's great. Mm -hmm. It is no secret just how bad that particular model is for the for the majority. So that's where mm -hmm. I think companies like us who provide that direct to fan relationships and services uh, will come handy. Well, I'm a I'm a huge advocate for this movement of putting artists first. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see what else you guys put out in the next couple of months. Obviously, as I said, I'm extremely artist centric and focused. It's been a big focus for me for my most of my professional career. Uh, and, and we're always trying to think outside of the box what we can do additionally to continue to provide new services, new technologies where we can just tilt it a little bit more for the little guy like how do we how do we just change it a little bit more for the little guy and trying to explain this uh, i'm in sweden right now visiting my parents and uh trying to explain what we do for my parents my mom said that you're like the the robin hood for the music industry and <laughs> i'm not I'm, I'm i'm not planning on disappointing her let's just say that i love it Rocky has since launched its 2.0. Go and check it out at www.rockywithanei.app. All that said, for our listeners that don't know too much about this area, get a lovely definition of a non-fungible token. The best way that I've figured out to explain it is that, you know, an NFT... Bitcoin is a is a fungible cryptocurrency. So just like I can give you a $10 note and it can be split up into coins and then you can give me the coins and I can reassemble them back into a $10 note. This is fungible currency. A non-fungible token, it, it, you can't break it down. It is completely unique. Uh, so one NFT is not equal to another, uh, whereas one Bitcoin will be equal to another Bitcoin. So what function does an NFT have? Well, the way that it is being used is that it denotes ownership. Uh, and, uh, and again, what does that exactly mean? It doesn't exactly mean that you have copyright uh, rights and you don't have commercial rights for the thing that you are meant to own. But an NFT will be, uh, it denotes ownership of a particular media that is hosted elsewhere. So the, so the NFT token, it might be deployed on, say, the Ethereum blockchain, but the Ethereum blockchain itself does not host that media. That media will be hosted somewhere else. So it is really you are holding a token that points to a file and maybe the ownership, quasi-ownership of that file might be a valuable asset to have uh, is basically the idea. Much better than I could do. You've just heard David Canellis, crypto journalist and director of news at Protos Media. We'll be hearing more from him a little later in the program. I am Rain Maida. I sing in a band called Our Lady Peace, and I like technology. And we're just really curious in talking to some key players that are involved in NFT platforms and just the influence they've seen since you guys have started out. 
I'm really glad we can make this happen. And I know you've got a lot going on with uh, Moon versus Sun and OLP and loophole oh and <laughs> yeah, anything yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, it's a little. It's bananas. It is absolutely crazy right now, but it's good. It's all, you know what? It's all creative. Even the NFT thing, it's all creative. So it's cool. I guess tell me a little bit how you got involved with with Sing. You're obviously no stranger to music advocacy, and this seemed like a wicked train to jump onto. So how did? Yeah, I mean the story is interesting. So probably right around the time that Napster launched, I um, just started thinking. You know, it's like okay, these guys are literally starting now to advocate for people taking their hands into my pockets and taking money out. Right? It was changing distribution of music monetization obviously and so I, you know you kind of pissed at the beginning and have been even all the way through digital with the dsps and you know the rates are still really shitty but the technology behind it all and and the fact that the way you get music is so much easier now is amazing and fascinating and the technology just around music and how you even create it in general has changed i mean my band just made a record during covid dave siddick you know, who's the TV on the radio guy and a brilliant producer. He's in L.A., but he's in Glendale. We were all kind of locked down. The guitar player Steve's in L.A., but locked down. And then the other two guys are in Toronto, but we were able to make a record because of technology. So I am a massive fan of technology and probably about 10 years ago started an incubator. Everything from really, really based around supporting the independent creator. Everything I've done for live streaming. I even started um, actual an actual live streaming platform called Juju Live at the beginning of COVID, just to help artists try to make some revenue because it stopped immediately. So, Sing. When I was introduced to the guys at Sing, they they started the company based on really, really part, smart patent guys. They're kind of savants. They understand that world very well. They understand how ip on the inventor side there's there's problems there you know the way it's tracked who created it like custody and authorship and all that stuff so they built a web-based platform to help protect that pretty quickly they realized that that is like very niche so you know what are the other verticals music was one of them and and so when i started talking so much i said look there this is actually really great timing there's there's a problem in ip on the music side because new creators are creating on TikTok duets. They're creating on on their laptops and sharing everything out there. They're creating on places like platforms like Splice and BeatStars. And and the problem is, it's not that they don't understand what IP is, but they're probably more concerned with like clout and followers than they are in terms of, hey, this is my original idea. And maybe sh I shouldn't just throw it up on SoundCloud or YouTube because it might got ripped off or anything you do on TikTok duets, if it's original, it's just out there for everyone to listen to and maybe steal. And we're starting to see that now. So I said, look, on the IP side, this is really amazing. I'm a huge believer in this advocate for ownership and independence and protecting digital rights. Yeah, I'd love to help. So I built a native app for them, basically, that functions as a digital wallet. And, and together we've launched this thing. And, you know, Sing is just a big proponent and like upload whatever you want. It's free. It saves your idea on the blockchain, which is immutable. You'll have it forever. You can pass it down to your kids. And so somewhere along the way around just after Christmas, NFTs kind of popped up and Beeple sold a painting for $69 million. I was actually talking to people in November about doing the first OLP video. We were having Zooms like this and going over a concert. And I was like, this is sick. I love you. You're one of my favorite artists, blah, blah, blah. And then he went dark and made $100 million. And 
totally understandable and I congratulate the guy, but hopefully now he's too busy. <laughs> yeah, he's a little busy. You know, with saying what we do is create NFTs. We just never use that language. So anyone that was uploading any content, whether it was video or, you know, artwork or audio into the Sing wallet, you were, you've always been creating an NFT. That's what you have. And you can go on Etherscan within our app and check it and it's there on the blockchain. But now with NFTs becoming this kind of frenzy, it's like, okay, let's take it to the, let's, let's build out the next iteration of Sing, which was always to like, we're going to help you monetize it if you want to. So literally today, we just launched a partnership with Rarible which is like one of the top five trading sites for NFTs in the world. And now anything you have in your Sing wallet, you can click a button and you can go list it on Rarible and sell it if you want. We've kind of tried to complete that circle. And then once something's sold or if you want to buy something on Rarible, it comes, ends up right back in your wallet to showcase it, use it as a gallery. So the holistic nature of Sing is, is, is complete now with this partnership that, you know, this is actually really good timing because it literally just launched this morning. So we're just, again, it's really about helping that creator, A, protect their shit, which is actually one of our like trademarks saying protect your shit and also monetize it now if you want. So pretty cool. I was going to bring up as well, like the, we've all seen what it takes or we've all seen um, the impact of a viral video on, on TikTok and how that platform sort of became like a, a gateway drug for collaboration trends. And yeah. when I was reading up on you guys and trying to um, learn more about your platform, I noticed that and I was like, oh, this is this is like capitalizing on TikTok in a better way. Like they got a really clever, they knew what they were trying to do and then they made it music centric and, you know, especially underlining the fact that people are tired of being ripped off. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and we're seeing so much more of that because, you know, these TikToks new, right? But it almost it also almost got shut down, you know, last year. So what would have happened? Like my kids on there, my kids been making a record here with me during COVID. He's sixteen. He's a brilliant artist. Does all this stuff. He'll stand here for a couple hours with me, put up with me, and record something official. But then he'll go to his room and get on TikTok and do like three duets, and I'm, and he'll bring them back. I'm like, Rowan, that idea is dope. Like the hook is amazing, the lyrics are amazing. I'm like shit how do we get that how do we even like he one of these things he did with this brilliant beautiful guitar chord progressions from this kid from japan i'm like how do we like who owns this how do we even talk to this kid like all this shit is floating out there like millions and millions of pieces of content a month and it almost got shut down where would all that content go how do you even access that all those original ideas so there's a lot of problems um with with socials on that level so we're just help we're just trying to be that easy like one step solution one click save it to sing at least you know if someone rips this off now you have you can prove it it's like you're gonna win it's it we can show when it was created when it's yours there's no way to change that because you know laura if, like if you if you wrote a song last night and shared it with me today i could you know if you say you just texted it to me i could get in that metadata and change whatever you put in there i could change the lyrics i can change the creator i can put it 100 percent as me whatever i want that's that's easy to do so that's where the blockchain works and especially ethereum like the practical use of ethereum as a digital ledger is really key and, and that's what it does really well so that's and that's what Singh bet on the two founders jeff and jim Harmon, and saying they bet on that early in the first iteration protecting patents and now it's it's paying off in, in dividends because it was the right thing to bet on.
This is making me feel insecure about all the voice notes I used to send during COVID when I was trying my hand at songwriting, and now I'm like, might never, might never know. Just throw them in sync, just in case. <laughs> I, look, I, and and so getting into like how it even even the the, the partnership with Rarible is amazing because now it's like, hey, OLP is releasing a new album in a few months. The single comes out on June 25th. I have demos of that single in my voice notes. And I actually sing, I have them in sing, because sing has a voice note feature, so it's just right in the app. But now I'm like, you know what? I fans would love to hear those. And like now we now I can now I can find a way. It's like, hey, for a buck you can get the voice note demo version, totally like initial like capture what I was first thinking as an NFT, you know, maybe and maybe when you buy the single that becomes an unlockable or something. There's just so many possibilities. Like we are truly what I, what I think about NFTs, and I hate that word. I hope we get away from NFTs because I don't. I, you know, thinking of something as a non fungible token feels no different than blockchain. Like for a lot of people, it's like you know what? Sorry, it sounds very elitist. Bitcoin, it's bullshit. I don't want any part of that. That's Sing's Sing is all about getting the everyday fan in and the everyday consumer. Like we just want it to be simple. So you know whether it's collectibles or digital assets, but the bottom line is we're like legitimately reimagining like how artists basically share music how they distribute it how they monetize it honest to god most importantly for me it's like how we build a community through this technology because now it's like literally direct to fan so if you're a fan of of incubus incubus can talk directly to you now without labels or publishers or gatekeepers or spotify whoever it's like this is the only way that we get to actually do that and that's so dope yeah, I was going to say a platform like this feels like the perfect opportunity to act as a jumping off point for, for an artist too, right? Like you've worked in the industry, you can recognize talent, absolutely. So if you see something on there and they need to know the right people or you watch them sort of flourish and garner relationships with different artists, like it seems like the perfect sort of um, community versus marketplace, so to speak. It's a community that is actually like tangible where, you know, like I look at my followers on Instagram or, or whatever, or Snap or, or Twitter. It's like, that stuff's good and I, and I use it, but it's not the same. It, it's not like, and I don't want to say these are just your super fans, but it's like the fans that you will build a community with through, through Sing, say, those are your real, like, those are the real fans. Those are, those are the ones that will buy merch, that will buy tickets, that will support you. They're not just like, I don't want to demean what a fan is on Instagram, but those can be like kind of, you know, on the periphery where through, through this NFT community and, and definitely through Sing, you're building a community that like these people will stick with you. And that's pretty cool. But I couldn't help thinking like, here's this, here's this veteran Canadian like musician like i grew up listening to, obviously to your music like hearing stuff on you know 102.1 the edge or on yeah. the radio or whatever and i was like here's somebody that knows the power of touring you know where you do and don't make money in the industry um as hard as that is to come to terms with because we have we all have certain ideas about it and then we actually get put in the field and you learn but it, i was really interested in now that we're in such a volatile era of streaming, as you mentioned, um, just how do you see the landscape now, now that you grew up in a band sort of before streaming culture? So there was like this downturn, obviously, with, with DSPs and the fact that Spotify and Apple really don't pay you fair value for streams. 
this is the superpower. Like NFTs are where we're going to see, I, and I, I'm already seeing it. I know a friend from Montreal, I won't name any names, an electronic producer. He sold a song as an NFT a couple months ago for like $29,000. Now that's not 3 million, like a people drop or Grimes or Blau or Steve Aoki, but that's $29,000 that he, he told me that would be like four years of streaming for him. And he made it in a weekend. So that's like the tip of the iceberg. That's what we're starting to see now. And the ability to kind of, like I said, reimagine how you connect. The, the idea of like, I think of it as digital expression now is amazing. And I've never been more exciting as an artist, never mind being in the technology side and being part of what saying, but the ability to think about, okay, how are we going to release this new LP record? And now we have all these different possibilities. Of course, we got to get our fans in and buy into the fact that, hey, there's a new place that you got to go to to do this, but record stores are gone. So this is the new record store, basically. That's, if I can simplify it, that's what it, it's going to be like. And in this new digital record store, you're going to find so many other things that you would at like Tower Records or what HMV used to be. It's going to be this virtual world with all this amazing shit that you would never be able to participate in before. So it's going to take a minute, but slowly that's going to become a new revenue stream for artists. That's really incredibly exciting. Where do you see um, NFTs playing a part, I guess, in the next five to 10 years? It's a digital record store that goes way beyond just selling music. Um, selling moments from live, physical and digital assets put together. Uh, again, it's really whatever you can imagine as an artist. The way we're going to roll out this new OLP album on Sing is going to be fascinating. I, I won't kind of give it away here, but it's um, we had a big you know think tank last week on it, and I was, you know, after an hour, it's like, okay, this is fun again. Like, fuck, our fans are going to love this. Our fans are going to be like, wow. I get all this stuff now with music. You used to. You used to buy a CD and like, you know, you could read through it and you get artwork and different lyrics and maybe notes from the band. I mean, vinyl's kind of made up, but we're still, now we're like, this is the next level of how you, as a fan, what you get to see. And, I, and again, I'd rather do that stuff and focus my creative energy on creating assets or taking stuff like these demos or handwritten lyrics and giving them to our fans as NFTs whether it's subscriptions or packs or whatever you want to imagine, it doesn't have that authenticity of, of, of what I think these new communities um, in the in the blockchain are going to have. I was even thinking just when you have a platform that um, is innate, like is helping you enable this dream, right? You're more almost incentivized incentivized to create things without like gamifying it. It would be sort of like I want to create more content because this is putting me in the place with like-minded people and sort of get the creative Absolutely. juices yeah, going. And, and think about the, the ability to like collab with other artists now and, and not just music artists, like graphic artists, 3D, holographic, like all this stuff is just sitting there for creators to, to like collab on. And that's really like, that's what we do now as creators. It's like, look at in, in, in the urban world, it's all about collaborations, right? And look, even on our first single, Stop Making Stupid People Famous, Nadia from Pussy Riot's a feature on it. So I love that ability and now in the digital world to go work with like, or reach out to my favorite digital artists and say, hey, we don't have to do a whole album together, but we have this new single coming out. Can you do a cool piece of art for it? And we can both make money off it. And if then if it gets resold, you make a royalty, like 
there's so much goodness in what this kind of uh, allows creators to do. It's not like this magic bullet where NFTs, if you're this young artist starting, that it's going to, you know, build this huge career. You, it takes hustle, it takes work like anything, and there's a lot of noise out there. But once it starts to click, I think that's where it's like, wow, you know what? Eight, what is it? 86% of artists live like $4,000 above the poverty level. Maybe with this NFT things five years from now, that number's drastically changed. And our parents will say, you know what? Okay, you want to be an artist? I, I see it. That's cool. Hopefully we can get away from the term starving artist. <laughs> you know, I, I get it. I have kids. But I, I think if you live long enough, you get to see those shifts. And I think this is a, a, a very profound shift in the creator world. Uh, my name is David Canellis. Uh, I've been a crypto journalist for the past three years now, uh, full time. I'm currently writing for Protos Media. Uh, we're a new crypto media brand. There I run the newsroom, so I'm the director of news. But before that, I was working at The Next Web, which is a, a large media and tech company in Amsterdam. Uh, so, so there I was a journalist for our uh, finance vertical hard fork. Uh, and I've since kind of branched out and, and done my own thing. Could you give us a little bit of context on what sort of work you're doing right now with Protos? Like, how are you, what sort of stories are the most topical right now? Sure. Uh, I mean, that's a really good question. And it's it's something that's a little bit difficult to answer because for the, for the longest time in crypto media, it's uh, been a very closed off section of the internet almost. Uh, so, so you have a lot of companies, uh, media companies, that the, the backers themselves actually are heavily invested in the space. Really, that kind of attracts a certain kind of story and coverage, I think, of, of the general industry. Uh, so really what Protos is trying to do is to give an alternate voice that, that isn't so influenced by whether or not the, the prices go up or down or whether there is interest flowing in and out. It's more communicating directly with the people who are either interested in investing in it or are already invested in it and would like unbiased information. Uh, and that's not to say that, you know, our competitors don't provide that as well, but it's more that we're focused on choosing the stories that they don't cover. And if I can't see the, the information in the in the media as it stands, then I'll try and provide information that, that maybe others haven't been able to consume. Bitcoin was along a lot longer before everybody else jumped on. So there was a bit of a craze. It felt like the word on everyone's, maybe not everyone's lips, but you know what I mean? Like we saw people and we saw um, Grimes selling digital artworks and we started to see this breadth in content that people were able to use um would you call would you call something like an nft like a phenomenon i th i think so but it, it's something that has come along only twice in 2017 in the lead up to 2018 uh when there was a lot of uh interest in bitcoin and ethereum and the prices were were going up uh you know in multiples that is when we really saw the first you know, what I would call NFT mania. Uh, and, and really that was focused on a, a project called CryptoKitties, which, you know, it became so popular that it brought Ethereum, the blockchain, it, it really kind of overloaded it uh, in a way of speaking uh, and kind of uh, showed a lot of people in the, in the crypto industry that 
maybe this technology cannot sustain uh, uh, something like a rapidly increasing popularity like CryptoKitties uh, in its current form. What we've seen now uh, leading into the, the, 20, the end of 2020 and the 2021 market was the same thing where Bitcoin multiplied and Ethereum too, which brought along a second wave of uh, NFT mania. And I think mania is really the, the right word to use. Uh, and while, while CryptoKitties has be, seen some kind of resurgence, uh, another project that kind of popped up in 2018 called uh, CryptoPunks. This is what really uh, speculators uh, and collectors really kind of latched onto this time around. And there was a few copycats, you know, maybe not copycats, but, you know, similar projects like hash masks, where these are kind of iterative and, and generative collectibles. For whatever reason, you know, it, it's, hard, it's hard to say exactly why speculators and collectors were drawn to these in particular, but I would guess that it is something to do with crypto investors and the crypto market in general. We, you know, not me personally, I'm not invested, but that crowd is so attuned to trying to find where the value is going to come from next. Uh, and when, so when the number starts to go up and when crypto punks, the value starts to go up, then that is really where a lot of the laser focus goes. Uh, and so it's it's no question that the speculators would come and, and look to generate that value by owning those those items. From there, a lot of uh, it just expands from there. When speculators look for well, what is next? And uh, and a lot there was a there was a music based NFT that that kind of took that idea of uh, using generative art in maybe a musical form called Euler Beats. Uh, where it was using an algorithm to generate beats like techno beats and stuff like that, and people could buy them. And basically, it's a computer creating the beats, and uh, some will be more valuable than others, is the idea. Uh, but we've seen that that kind, that the Euler Beats has, has followed a similar trend to the rest of the market in the past uh, couple of months, where there was a large amount of interest straight up. Uh, and then it is kind of faded off as uh, in the same kind of vein as what the crypto prices have done too, uh, which kind of, it leads me to think that a lot of the NFT mania is anchored in the interest that the cryptocurrencies themselves uh, generate. So it's kind of like a speculative uh, waterfall that kind of flows down into other areas of the market. You know, the first time I came across an NFT and I just dove into podcasts trying to get as many points of view and perspectives as possible. And I wanted to also ensure that they were coming from a variety of people. You know, cool. I wanted to hear people in, in in the investment world. I also wanted to hear what artists, how artists felt um, in terms of how to assign value to something they've, they've created, um, as you said, uniquely that works sort of in tandem with anything that you do in in the arts, right? I was wondering when the bubble burst, um, how can how do we explain this um, just to a first time, maybe a first time NFT buyer or somebody who just joined uh, the community? How do how do we describe sort of what that means? Uh, so so it, it is difficult because it's a, it's it's a really emerging of of the finance lingo and what happens in the art world. Uh, so in the art world, you know, you, you define value and, and the overall market maybe as in how much of a piece of artwork's value has been retained over time. 
rather than how much volume uh, of art is being traded every year, so how, how much money people are paying for art, it's really, you know, does my Picasso hold its value over the next 20 years? And if over that 20 years you have an explosion in interest in Picasso work, then maybe it will inflate the price of that Picasso painting multiple times. But if the interest goes away, the value of that Picasso, it might be worthless at the end of the day. And of course, you know, like the value of art is in the eye of the beholder and all that, but they, but it is still a market, so people pay money for it. Uh, Dare so, I say, I was going to say that the artist dies. <laughs> sure, sure. It's I a think, huge hockey stick effect. It is very interesting because, you know, it's, uh, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but some prominent NFT collectors have moved into collecting traditional artwork as well and have, ex and have explored trying to convert that artwork into an NFT as well. I would say in terms of explaining this particular NFT bubble to newcomers to the space, in my research and the data analysis that I've done, some projects in particular have been incredibly popular and that they, and particularly CryptoPunks. And this is the particular collection of NFTs that have been sold at real world auctions, at Sotheby's and at Christie's. In my view, CryptoPunks has led the market to a point where a lot of other people have come along and then they have said, well, if CryptoPunks is worth a lot of money, what else will be worth a lot of money one day? Uh, and so what I have seen is that the, the volume and interest in CryptoPunks, at least from general buyers, and, and there are still outliers. CryptoPunks still sell for millions of dollars at auctions, even, even in this past week. But the general volume in the general market has fallen. Uh, so which has has because it was it made up so much of the nft market it, it seems like that is what really has has caused the market to to decrease when that interest in crypto punks is gone it has brought down the rest of the market but that i think that it presents an opportunity for the rest of the space it's not like nfts are dead that the piece that we wrote triggered a lot of attention around the world i think there is a lot of people skeptical of cryptocurrencies and there's a lot of people skeptical of nfts so there is a lot of confirmation bias out there in the mainstream media that as soon as interest disappears, then that means that whatever fad is now over. But I don't think that that's particularly true. I think that the bubble deflating or popping allows other projects to be able to shine. Uh, and I think that throughout the process of the bubble growing and deflating, you have brought a lot of legitimate interest from people who want to build the ecosystem. Personally, I'm I'm kind of tired of writing about CryptoPunks. I'm I'm kind of tired of seeing an auction at Sotheby's or, or whatever it may be uh, for CryptoPunks and then someone prominent in the industry with millions and billions of dollars buying that, that CryptoPunk and then seeing all the articles that come after it, I think it's a little bit tired. And, I, and I'm sure that NFT creators are feeling the same way. So I think it really presents a great opportunity for maybe a little bit more stable and realistic growth over time uh, from NFT creators and just artists in general. Let's say two years from now, like if you had a, you're peering into a crystal ball, where, where do we see NFTs sort of in relevance I think that the most realistic application, and we're seeing it now as well, is that there is this trend of, you know, individuals who have made a very popular meme 
uh, say something like Nyan Cat or uh, or you know o- overly attached girlfriend. These kind of these kind of memes. They have been given a chance to finally capitalize on the success and popularity of their creation. Uh, so you have people reclaiming the memes that they have put out into the ether and, and sometimes for, for, you know, tens of millions of dollars or millions of dollars. And it's, it, it's no doubt changed their lives. Uh, so I think that that is really what we will see that NFTs, I believe their main primary use case will be some form of digital patronage and kind of like a donation box uh, is kind of how a lot of people uh, in the space is starting to describe NFTs that, if I provide a good or a service or, or you know, some form of content that has really uh, made an impact on people's lives, then people can buy an NFT that denotes ownership of that item uh, and really reward the creator. Uh, and I think that that is, that is really cool because, you know, I've been on the internet a long time and someone making money from their meme that has gone across the world uh, is not really something that ever was a thing uh, before NFTs came along in this particular cycle. One really good example, specifically tied to to music that I that I read on Twitter recently is, uh, and I'm I'm sorry, but I forget the DJ's name. But you know, a, a DJ had gone from the the club to an after party and was playing at just you know some people's house. He he found out that the people in the house had bought his NFT. So there was a really kind of a special connection there between the DJ and immediately with his listening public. And I'm sure this was a, was a great moment to, for him to find out that actually, you know, the people here really did buy my NFT and it's not just some speculator looking to resell it in the future, that it really was a one-to-one connection uh, there, which I think is really cool. This is ultimately the hardest thing about cryptocurrency in general is that it is also new. Uh, so really, all of this is still one big experiment. What we have seen in this, you know, what I would call a four-month bubble, uh, is that a lot of people have rushed to buy what has been sold as an investment in many cases, that they can buy this asset for a lot of money today, and maybe in the future it will be worth a lot more. A lot of these sales have been primary sales the first time. You know, it's not like... Niancat has been resold for millions of dollars. It was bought once. Who knows what it will be worth in the future? All we can do is look at the history and look at the data. And basically, that's the work that I've been doing lately. What this says to me is that the market cycles of bubbles and bursting are much shorter than maybe we expect. I'm far from saying what Bitcoin or Ethereum will do, but there is a common thread in the industry at the moment that maybe the cycles of bull and bear markets won't take years anymore. They will just take months. And if NFTs are a more volatile subset of that market, then it makes sense that the bubble would also be also be relatively short, maybe months long. So maybe within this year, there could be another NFT mania but I would suspect that it would be it would be something other than CryptoPunks that will do it. But it's very difficult to say uh, because every time it, it's surprising what the market actually does. But it's uh, it, it's something that's that's very exciting, and I, I really do like the application of music. Uh, I think that ultimately it is fan service for for music artists in particular. 
if an artist wants to release an album or a record, and if someone wants to pay a lot of money for that record, then they can buy the NFT for whatever price they want. Uh, and I think that this is a more realistic application of the uh, of NFTs in the music world. Uh, instead of taking itself so seriously that it is an investment and, and, and a speculating thing, because I think that kind of cheapens the whole thing. Uh, if you have a bunch of people coming along and buying and selling art uh, without any kind of soul in the ownership, if that makes sense. Um, it would be better if it was a special experience between fan and creator. And I'm, I'm hoping that's what persists. It's like, okay, but what are the consequences? Sure. And it feels like it always is environmentally related. We sort right. of something we can't ignore anymore. Have you found anything interesting in the way people are writing about this? Or have you been, have you been posed as a media site to talk about this more? I'm just curious about that. It's something very sensitive. And it kind of touches on a very an asset, an esoteric and even philosophical idea of what an NFT is and what is, you know, the, the term the terminology is what is its value proposition. So if I want to buy an NFT today, the reason that I would want to buy that NFT is because that thing will be there in a hundred years. It it will not disappear and nobody can take it away from me. And really, this is inspired by Bitcoin, proof of work blockchains in particular. I believe that the most valuable NFTs are those that cannot be censored and those that, that will be there for as long as the network exists. It depends on a lot on what blockchain that NFT is issued on. And then there is another, discuss another discussion of where the media tied to that NFT is hosted. But I believe that's a different discussion. Are NFTs environmentally friendly? Well, my definition of NFTs would have a real NFT would be only those that exist on a blockchain that is running a proof of work algorithm, at least in the technology's current form. And proof of work does use a lot of energy and whether or not that one would believe that that is a wasteful enterprise depends on how much you value the process of making sure that NFT is there forever and cannot be censored or taken off me. So in that sense, uh, whether or not you, you believe that, it is, that NFTs are environmentally damaging, it depends on really uh, how you view the function of cryptocurrency uh, in general. So it's difficult. But I would, say that, I would say that the industry is still coming to terms with this. I believe I've seen a lot of artists who were ready to mint NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain, and then they were told about how energy intensive proof of work is, and they decided to not mint them at all, and instead maybe mint them on a blockchain that is maybe controlled by one company running on a server in their office. And if that company went away in three years and went bankrupt, their NFT would disappear too, which begs the question, what are they selling? They're, they're selling an, eph an ephemeral token that might disappear one day. I think that the industry still has to kind of figure this out, especially outsiders that aren't crypto native that are coming into the blockchain space. Uh, and to really understand the function of proof of work, but also understand the context of this technology within the rest of the world. 
there is a lot of energy intensive operations that are silly. How many things that are in this world that maybe we don't need, but all of those things use electricity and power and maybe even more degree than something like Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think there has been lots of studies into the environmental impact of proof of work and Bitcoin, but I don't think that those studies really do a great job of putting it in the context of the rest of the society that we live in, uh, because I think that if we analysed the electricity consumed by other parts of our world and, and held them to a similar scrutiny, we might see that those things maybe aren't as useful as a truly independent and uncensorable network of information. And that's really what these blockchains are. No, I, I appreciate that insight because when you're a journalist, you're supposed to give an objective view and there's a certain honor of presenting think, facts in a in a way that is is objective and you want people to be reading facts, not opinions. So I was really curious how um, either how you've seen that presented or just what how you face that on a day to day basis. Because it is such a new technology, specifically NFTs and art and music, it is not outside the realm of imagination to think that one day uh, someone will want to create music or art that is offensive to a lot of people, and then they will try to create that NFT and list it on a marketplace that might censor their art. And, uh, and this hasn't really happened in general so far, and I think it's just because there is still a small amount of people compared to the rest of the art world creating art NFTs. But I think that this will really be what, what kind of defines moving forward in the future uh, in terms of art and NFTs is, can this thing be censored? Can this thing be taken away from me? And will this thing exist in another 10 years? And to me, the only way that, those, that an NFT can be created in that context uh, is on a proof-of-work blockchain, specifically a large one that is decentralized enough that no one party can control it. And really, there is only two networks that do that, Bitcoin, and there's no NFTs on Bitcoin. Ethereum, uh, I think, still fulfills that. Uh, so, And that is really the one blockchain that a lot of artists have steered away from because it still relies on proof-of-work. So I think it's still very much in flux. You know, I enjoy the discourse in the mainstream media about proof of work and figuring out whether or not is it, a, is it is a useful enterprise for, for humanity overall. Uh, and I think that debate is necessary because that's just how humanity moves forward. But I would hope that in general, people would understand the usefulness and utility of censorship-resistant networks uh, and really... Proof-of-work blockchains is something akin to encrypted messaging services. Our messages to be sent over a network that maybe you can't trust uh, and they will reach the destination and that they can't be censored. Bitcoin and Ethereum are that, except replace the messages with money and value. And essentially it's the same. Uh, so hopefully my hope is that the rest of the world will understand that that is a necessary technology. And, and it's great that NFTs can be issued on a blockchain like that. And it's great that artists can create work that cannot be censored or taken away and be rewarded for that all within the same ecosystem. And I think that that's really special.
a huge thanks goes out to Bjorn Nicholas, Rain Maida, and David Canellis. This program was produced by Craig Clemens, Tony Young, Regan McDonnell, and myself. Images by Andre Grant, social media by Room Jiga, and I'm your host, Laura McInnes-Ray. If you enjoyed the program, tell us. You've been listening to Beneath the Rhythm, an RX Music podcast. <laughs>